Philippians chapter 12 this morning. Romans 12. As we talked about last week, we talked about uh, praying through the scriptures. And we're going to be talking about that again this week and probably next week. I believe that it is very important that we, in our times of prayer, that we would take time to pray the things that we see in scripture. I believe that is important because when we do that, we are... uh, recognizing the heart of Scripture, and then we are aligning our heart's desires with the heart of Scripture. That is why I think it is so important that we would take the things that we see in Scripture, and then we would apply that to ourselves in petitioning God that He would work those things within us. Last week we talked about uh, Philippians chapter 1. This week we're talking about Romans chapter 12. There's so much that is contained in this passage of Scripture um, that we can... Uh, apply to our Christian lives, really, it's, it's uh, uh, Paul kind of, he begins the chapter by saying that we should be a living sacrifice, and then he goes throughout the rest of this chapter talking about what that means and what that looks like. Um, we're going to break that down more as we go here uh, throughout today, but as we begin here, I want to look just very briefly at what it means to pray the Scriptures and why that is significant and what it means to kind of align our hearts with the heart of Scripture. Um, But what is necessary for the church today is that we would be absolutely different. I've said this before, but Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when the church is absolutely different from the world, it invariably attracts it. When the church is absolutely different from the world, it invariably attracts it. So what he is saying is that For the world to actually want what we have, we have to be different than the world. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, I've told told you before that uh, uh, we can't make things attractive enough by our own power, by trying to organize events that people in the world are just going to want something to do with it. I mean, consider uh, uh, anything that we can organize as a church trying to, to, um, you know, sometimes we organize programs to try to make people want to get involved with things at the church so we hope that eventually they'll come to church. We can't do that as well as the world can do it, right? Because they have, they have Little League, they have Volleyball Leagues, we have any kind of league you can imagine, we have any kind of group that you can imagine, and those groups aren't asking them to be any different. They're not asking them to do anything different in their hearts. So what I'm saying is, We can't, by that methodology, we can't organize something that is going to be more attractive than the world organizing the same events because they're not asking people to do anything different. So what I'm saying is that all that we have as the church is the heart of God and to align ourselves with the heart of God and to walk in the power of God so that we can be different and the world can see that there is some sort of hope, something available within us that they want. Um, So in order, though, for the church to be different, it is imperative that individuals make the decision that they will pursue the heart of God as revealed in his word. Not just that we would gain knowledge of who he is, but the the very heart of God revealed through his word would then be applied to our own hearts 
And as this happens, the church will begin to have power and influence uh, because our power and influence is not by our own strength or intellect, but our power and influence is by the creator of the universe. Our power, our influence, everything that we have to affect the world around us comes by the source of life, God alone, the God who is perfect in power, perfect in wisdom, perfect in strength. He is sovereign over all. We can't gain, try to gain our power to influence people from worldly methods, but we have to tap into the power that God has made available to us through his spirit. Uh, in that, then we become different. Uh, so in all of this, I think that when you look at the scriptures, when you see the things that are contained in the, in the word of God, you see the things that we are called to, uh, the, the things that the Bible outlines, a simple reading of Scripture alone is not sufficient to live up to the standard or to live up to uh, the responsibility that the church has. I mean, I mean we, are, we are God's influencing arm on this earth. He has chosen to work through His people for some reason. He has chosen to work through us. Now, for us to live up to that responsibility, a simple reading of Scripture alone is not sufficient. Now, what I'm saying is that when we sit down, you know, it's, it's easy for us to just go through times where, uh, uh, you know, we, we have our, our devotion times or, or if we have devotion times, we, we do that and we sit down and we read through something. We have to move beyond just simply reading principles to figuring out how we can apply them to our hearts. I think I've talked about this before, but we live in a day where uh, we have hundreds of thousands of sermons on YouTube. We have uh, thousands of Christian books. We have curriculums, video curriculums, anything that you can imagine. We have radio programs, anything you can imagine for the benefit of the church. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes we are so saturated with information that we, we hear something and immediately then we're on to the next thing before we actually get to the point of applying something that has spoken to our hearts. You see, there are moments where God is going to reveal something to our hearts. And when he reveals that, the best thing that you could do is to just stay in that place, to meditate on that, to to think on that, even if it takes weeks or months until you know that that is rooted within your heart, that it is applied to your heart, and that you are now living out that principle. What I'm saying is a simple reading of Scripture or a simple listening to a sermon or a simple going through a video curriculum, that's not enough. There has to be some place where we finally decide that I am going to take these truths and I'm going to dwell on them, meditate on them until they are the very foundation of my being. You see, God calls us to something that is far beyond what we can attain just simply by trying to reform behaviors or by sheer strength or will alone. We can't live up to it by just trying hard. You see, it takes us being in the place where we are constantly before God, dwelling in the presence of the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to plant those things within our hearts. Uh, so a simple reading of, strip, of Scripture alone is not sufficient for the church to reach the heights that we are called to in God. We must approach God's revelation of himself through his word with an attitude of dependency and intent 
to lay hold of the spiritual treasure that is found within. A lot of this simply comes down to the disposition of our heart. A lot of this simply comes down to a matter of us understanding when I sit down with Scripture, it's not that I have to do anything crazy. It's not that there's some magical formula that I have to, to uh, uh, recite or something that I have to do uh, in order for me to have these truths planted within me. But it's, it, it's simply about the disposition of our heart. Do we see this as treasure? Do we see this as nourishment? Do we see this as life in itself when I set myself before the principles of God? Psalm 119, starting in verse 162, says, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Psalm 19, starting in verse 9, says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the, the honeycomb. You see, that is the attitude that the people of God need to have about His Word, understanding that what we have been given is of the greatest value that we could ever find in this world or beyond this world. A lot of it comes down to this being the foundation of our being, comes down to the attitude with which we approach the principles of God whether it's simply in reading the Word of God or whether it's simply in hearing a sermon or going through some sort of Bible study with other believers, it comes down to the attitude of our hearts. Do we do this because it's some sort of social gathering that this is what you're supposed to do as the church? Or do I do this because in these moments God is feeding my very soul? That my life is sustained by what He is giving to me. That my life is preserved by what He has laid out. So every time that I set before His Word, that I enter that time knowing that what He is about to give me is feeding my soul and providing for my life, sustaining the very foundation of my being. Now, in that recognize that there may be times where you can come to Scripture even with that attitude. You might not feel like you get something. That doesn't mean that God's not feeding your soul. Just because you sit down, if you are honestly, sincerely pursuing God, you honestly want to apply His principles to your life, you might not feel something every time you sit down and read. You might not feel something every time you sit through a sermon or sit through a Bible study. But if the disposition of your heart is directed towards wanting to know Him and have His principles planted within you, God is doing something whether you recognize it or not. You see, there are times where you might not feel for a season like like you're feeling some sort of spiritual, emotional high, but when you get to the end of some sort of period like that, if you were sincerely pursuing God, you can look back and see God was moving the whole time. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. That was difficult, but I see now what he was doing the whole time. But this is what we should approach the Scripture with, the attitude of the psalms. The decrees of the Lord are firm, they are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and a delight of uh, of my heart. Your words were found, implying a sincere and earnest searching for the word. He says, your word was found. He was searching for the word. It wasn't something where he was just passively sitting by and waiting for God to drop something on him, but he was searching because he knew that there was value in it. 
He was searching for the word. Your words were found. Then he goes on and he says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and delight to my heart. Now that sounds sounds kind of weird in the first place, thinking that he's saying your word was found and I ate them. But what he is talking about is the application of the principles of God to his life. I sought your word. I searched diligently for your word and I found it. I found your principles and then I took them in as the very nourishment of my life. Applying it to our hearts that he may nourish us. You see, when I read God's word, I have to recognize that the character that we are called to is beyond my ability to live up to, again, simply by behavioral modification or by my own strength. It has to come from, I mean, even we've talked about, I think on Wednesday nights, uh, the Beatitudes, the first one says in the Sermon on the Mount when Christ was talking about what are they called Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, recognizing that I have nothing in myself. That's talking about somebody who comes to God, who comes to the cross of Christ as a spiritual beggar, recognizing again, as we've said before, that their pockets are empty when they come to the cross. I have nothing. I don't have anything. I don't care how smart people say I am, how much money I have in this world, how well-educated or, or whatever my social status is, raised above other people, none of that matters at the foot of the cross. That I recognize when I come to Christ, I have nothing. I am a spiritual beggar pleading with Him for whatever He would be pleased to offer to me. You see, that's what we're talking about when we study the Word of God. When I read His Word, that I should come to Him with that attitude that I have nothing other than what He gives me. The Bible says that he gives us fullness of life, that he gives us spiritual nourishment, that he gives us guidance and help and comfort. You see, our attitude, the disposition of our heart is so significant in the life of a believer. You can do all of the right actions and other people can look on you and say, that person's a great Christian. All the while, your heart can be totally fully away from God. You see, because our actions mean nothing if our heart is not fixed on God. All of this, again, should help us to recognize that just simply sitting through sermons or just simply reading through a passage in the Bible in itself is not enough unless my heart is fixed on feeding on what God is giving me, allowing it to nourish me and applying it to my heart's. Um, so in that I say all of that to say that we should approach God's word every time that we sit down and read God's word or every time that we are in a church and we hear a sermon or every time that you turn on your radio and you hear a sermon that we would approach it with an attitude of prayer this is why this is so important that we would approach God's word and take the thing, the heart that we see in Scripture and apply it to ourselves in prayer. Because I can't just read these things and think that I'm going to be able to live up to it. I have to take the things that God has given me for my nourishment and allow Him to apply them to my heart. But I do that. God is pleased with His people that would come to Him as spiritual beggars knowing that, I, God, I can't live up to this myself. 
I see you're saying all of these things in your word that I'm supposed to be doing, but I can't do this myself. I don't have the strength to do it. You see, when somebody comes to God sincerely with that attitude, God, I can't do this, but I know that you can work in me. I know that you can perform the greatest miracle that has ever happened in transforming the sinful heart of man and making me to reflect your glory. I know that you are able. You see, that is significant when we come to God with that attitude. I see your word. I need you now to apply this to me. That is why we're talking about praying the word of God. So Romans 12, um, we're going to start, just read verse 1, because this is kind of the the context that uh, everything else falls under. And then we're going to go to verse 9. I'm sorry, we're going to read verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he starts by saying that because of God's mercy, in light of his mercy, we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That means everything within me is laid on the altar before him. Uh, starting in verse 9 then, he says, this, this is the result of somebody who is living a living sacrifice to God. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, again, he calls us, he says that in light of God's mercy... Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And then he begins to list all of these things that compose the person or are the characteristics of the person who is a living sacrifice. The first thing that we see is love must be sincere, the first half of verse 9. Love must be sincere. Love is the foundation of all Christian character. It is the most fundamental Christian virtue that binds together or makes effectual all other virtues in the Christian walk. You see, we have to be people who would then pray for sincerity and love. This, the Bible makes this very simple. We don't know what to pray for. It has outlines it right here. Love must be sincere. God, will you make my love sincere? You see, because as humans, there are times where our love is not sincere towards all people. For certain people, our love is sincere towards. It's easy to be sincere in love towards our family. It's easy to be sincere in love towards those we're close to. It's easy to be sincere in love towards those who it's easy to love. But love being sincere goes far beyond 
just simply even our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love being sincere is even for the people that hate us. To have a sincere love for those who hate us. To have a sincere love for those who have wronged us. And I'm not saying that we have to figure out a way to be the best friend of somebody who has abused us or or done something terrible in life, but somewhere in us the Christian should be led at some point to still have compassion on the heart of somebody who has strayed so far from God that they could abuse or hurt somebody else in some way. That doesn't mean that the hurt doesn't exist. That just means that somewhere within me I recognize that there is a human soul that has been absolutely devastated by Satan. You see, that's what we're talking about in sincere love. It's not just, it's not just what we do here. It's not just with our family. It's somehow me being able to the same way that Christ has sacrificially loved sinners that I would still have a sacrificial and sincere love directed toward them. That doesn't mean that we accept everything that they do. That doesn't mean that we encourage them in everything that they do. That doesn't mean that at all. As we talked about last week, that that sacrificial love is guided by truth. As a river flows through the banks, and the banks keep it in check, and they are a guide for the river, so truth keeps love directed towards God. It is true as sacrificial love is lived out in truth. Now that means that we might have to do some difficult things, tell people some difficult things. Love must be sincere. Sincere first to God and then second to man. Uh, You see, we pray that God would make our love sincere because... Sincere love is given to us through God's work within us. Remember, we've talked over and over that Romans 5, 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts. It is not something that I just decide that I'm going to do. I pursue God and petition Him that His love would be poured into my heart. McLaren's commentary said this, There is little to be done in our own power by the way of directing, di- directly increasing either the fervor of love or the honesty of its expression. The true method of securing both is to be growingly transformed by the renewing of our minds and growingly uh, bring our whole selves under the melting and softening influence of the mercies of God. It is swollen self-love, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, which impedes the uh, the flow of love to others. And it is in the measure in which we receive into our minds the mind that was in Christ Jesus and look at men as he did, that we shall come to love them all honestly and purely. You see, it is about us fixing our eyes on what Christ has done, that we would walk in the mercies of God, be influenced by the mercies of God, and petition God that he would make our love sincere the same way that Christ's love was sincere. We see that in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. The the Bible says, uh, starting in verse 5, it says, "...in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." So that we see that the mind of Christ that should be in us was motivated by sincere love directed at mankind. 
Bible says that we should have the same mind as Christ, that our love should be sincere. The same thing that we see in Christ should be in us. And we go to God in prayer, petitioning Him that He would make my love sincere. Uh, we see this in Christ as He uh, hung on the cross even. Uh, Luke chapter 23, starting verse 35, it says, The people stood, uh, stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at Him. They said, He saved others. Let Him save Himself if He is uh, God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hung there, uh, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you can imagine the sincerity of love directed at mankind in this moment where Christ had endured beatings that we can't even imagine. He was beaten, he was spit on, he was mocked in this moment. That in this moment he's hanging on the cross while all these people are mocking him and ridiculing him. And he has his arms nailed to the cross and his feet nailed to the cross and his back has been ripped open to the point in that moment if you hear uh if you've ever heard a medical examiner talk about this they talk about how for him to breathe he would have had to push himself up to take a breath in that moment so his back that was ripped wide open every time he pushed himself up would have uh been pushed against the rough wood of the cross every time to take a breath. And in that moment, the man says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he would have had to push himself up against the rough cross and his back ripped open to say, today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine the sincere love of God through Christ directed at humanity, that he would endure all of that and once again be able to push himself up to relieve the pressure to to say, my sacrifice right now today is sufficient for you. Even in the moment where you are about to die, you haven't lived for me your whole life, but in this moment you're about to die, I see that you are coming to me in sincerity and my sacrifice is sufficient for you. You see, God is calling us to have sincere love the same way that Christ has had sincere love. We don't have that in us naturally. That same thing that led Christ to that expression of sincere, sincere love in that moment to that man, you and I don't have that within us. You see, but God wants to pour that into us. He wants to give us that same love within us. He wants to give us sincere, sacrificial love. And you see, that doesn't come by simple, passive reading of the Bible like any other book. That comes through us going before God, petitioning Him, sincerely asking Him over and over, going before Scripture with a heart of prayer, God, will you do this within me because I don't have the power to attain it on my own? There's a lot more that we see here. It says love must be sincere, but then hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You see, we should be people that would pray. I'm sorry, I can't handle this coat anymore. Lights are hot today. We should be people that would pray that God would help us to detest 
that which is evil. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Help me to understand the effect of the things sometimes that we set before our eyes. You see, there are a lot of things. I know we've said this before. There are a lot of things that Christians all over this country and this world set before their eyes that absolutely do nothing, not only nothing to nourish their souls, but actively lead to the destruction of their souls. There are a lot of things that Christians set before their eyes on TVs that there is no way that we should be taking in. The Bible says, I can't remember which, uh, which psalm it is, he said, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. You see, the things that we actively choose to set before our eyes influence us whether we realize it or not. You see, we should be people who sincerely want to pursue God enough that we pray, God, there are things around me that I'm sure I don't see a problem with it right now, but if there is anything in my life that I am setting before my eyes or anything I am allowing to be a part of my life, will you hate, help me to hate that which is evil? Reveal it to me, help me to see it, help me to understand it, and then give me the strength to get rid of it. Because you see, there are times when you're going to remove something from your life and there are going to be other Christians that are going to say, you know, that's really not that bad. You're kind of extreme here. You're going to hear that from other Christians. You see, that's why it's a simple reading of Scripture isn't enough. Reading it like every other book, but coming to it with an attitude of prayer saying, God, I don't have the strength, I don't have the vision to see that every, everything that is evil, will you give me spiritual vision, and then when you reveal the things to me, give me the strength to remove that from my life. Give me the strength to not be concerned about others that think I'm extreme, but to be able to be a light for them. And that somehow you would see, they would see you working in me and want the same thing for their lives. We have to approach Scripture with an attitude of prayer. I'm almost done. Uh, Help us to despise that which is evil. He goes on. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Pray that we would have sincere affection for one another, that we would prefer our brothers and sisters in Christ above ourselves, that we would do all in our power to honor them in all things. John 13, 35 says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. You see, we have to be people that have a devotion to God's church. That we would be people that would consider this a family. As I've talked about before, that understanding that we, we have biological family ties that are amazingly meaningful for us in this life, and rightly so. But I don't believe, according to Scripture, I don't think you can find anything that would teach that the church should be any less meaningful than the biological ties that we have with others. You see, because in the moment that I receive Christ, I am immediately tied with the heavenly tie to God my Father, who is the Father of all of those who have received Christ as their Savior whether they are easy to love or not, whether they irritate me or not, I am tied to them with a bond that transcends this earth. 
We have to value our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to value them enough to want the best for them in that we honor them above ourselves, that we want to see good things for them. You know that there are people who don't like it when they see good things happening in other people's lives. That happens. They start to get upset when somebody else is is lifted up or honored. and Well, nobody's honoring me. Nobody's saying anything to me. You see, we ought to be content and happy to honor others above ourselves. That is something that we should pray that God would work in our lives. This is the last thing I'll say. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Uh, The King James Version says this, verse 11, not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Uh, Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That that word for fervent, if you go back to the Greek, you would see that it's talking about something being hot to the point of boiling. Uh, Fervent in spirit, to be hot to the point of boiling. You see, when, when we put water on a stove to boil. It is full of energy in the point, the moment that it gets to boiling, right? It is not sitting still. It is moving. It is, there is fullness of life in water in that moment. It, it, it is bubbling all over the place. It has vapors that are coming up and filling the room. I even read that, that some of the ways that they used to try to humidify their houses would be uh, to put... Uh, pots of water on to boil so that there would be humidity in the air. You see, when we are full of life to that point, there is nothing in our Christian life that can be contained. But people see the influence of God on me because I am different, because I have the life of God in me. Others see that, and then they desire to have that same life. We have to be people that would pray for this. God, help me to be never lacking in my zeal for you. Help me to be spiritually uh, desperate for you. Help me to have this disposition of heart to where my heart is like it's boiling for you, that there is constantly movement in me in seeking you, in my desire to seek you and know you, and then that this would overflow out of me into the world around me. That is not something that comes natural to us. It is something that we pray that God would work within us. As the worship team comes up, we begin to close here this morning. There's a lot more that you you can go through here. I would encourage you to to go through this, this chapter and make it your prayer for yourself, not just yourself, but for your family, for your church, for the people around you. But the point of this is that when we take the Scriptures and apply them to ourselves in prayer, we are praying then that our desires and purposes, our will, our emotions, our words, our actions would reflect Christ. It would reflect his sincerity of love, his disdain for evil things. That he would give us a spiritual fervency to want to know him and to walk in him. It is not something that comes natural to you and I. 
if we go through this life and we just simply passively read Scripture, if we just simply passively sit through uh, Bible studies and sermons and all of those things, you will miss the spiritual treasure that God has for you. You see, in all of this, God's not, he's not just punched our ticket to heaven and, and someday we'll get to walk in all of these blessings. That's not what this is. Christ came to give us fullness of life now. Christ is to establish his kingdom now. The Bible says that his kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. His kingdom is not a matter of physical things anymore. It was under the old covenant, but today it's not. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means that the moment that I receive Christ, I become a citizen of his kingdom, able to walk in all of the blessings of his kingdom now, not just off in the future. Now, there is a fullness that we will receive when we get to heaven that we don't see here. There is we get to be in the presence of God, see him as he is. We will see things in their fullness But God has given us all the blessings of his kingdom in some measure to walk in right now as we stand here today. But you see, it's up to us to walk in those things. If we walk with a passive heart, it's not going to happen. You will never experience the fullness of those blessings. But if we come to him with the disposition of heart, as we pray the scripture saying, God, I can't do these things. Will you do this in me? God will pour more and more of himself into your life and you will walk in those blessings, not just in heaven, but every day as you walk through this earth. God, we thank you today for who you are, for all that you've done, all that you've provided, all that you've given us in this life, that we don't have to just wait for someday off in the future and in eternity to walk in your blessings, but you have given us the blessings of your kingdom now. Father, help us to be people that recognize that you are able and we are not. And as we read your word, Father, that we would petition you to apply those things to our hearts, that we may reflect who you are, we may reflect your desires, your intentions, your love, your glory to the world around us. Help us to recognize that nothing of eternal value is accomplished out of our own power, but by you alone. And help us to have a desperation to seek you then as the source of life and all blessing, all power, and all influence in this world. Father, we love you today. It is your name we pray. Amen.